Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. I'm going to be chatting with Augustine Fuentes, professor and chair of the University of Notre Dame's Anthropology Department. He's going to be talking about how creativity is what makes humans unique in his new book, The Creative Spark, How Imagination Made Humans Exceptional. There's a whole bunch of fascinating stories in this book about our ancestors, and Fuentes explores how creativity has propelled the evolutionary development of our bodies, our minds, and cultures for good and for bad over millions of years, defining and redefining what it means to be human. It is my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Augustine Fuentes. Hi, how are you? I am well. Thanks for having me. I was really intrigued by your background. Before we get into your book, The Creative Spark, How Imagination Made Humans Exceptional, I want to ask you a little bit about how this became a fascination with you. Well, I didn't even know about anthropology before college, but I've always been interested in what makes humans tick. And then once I found out there was a field uh, about (laughs) humans and everything related to humans, I dove in. And for the last 28 years, I've conducted research on human behavior, primate behavior, animal behavior, human evolution, human human biology, evolutionary theory in the field, in the lab. And really what that's led me to, all of this data, all of this information, is to recognizing there really is something truly distinctive about us. Uh, Not that other organisms aren't incredible, but that there is a pattern, a context in humans. It's not that we're the nicest or the nastiest species, Mm -hmm. but we are the most creative. And that's information that needs to get out. It's funny. I was reading uh, the information about your book, and I was thinking about um, finger painting. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I remember being a kid in my room, and all of a sudden I realized I could uh, make profiles of people, and I just taught myself, exactly. and I, I was like, oh my gosh, and it opened the whole world into drawing cartoons. This ability... This creativity that I'm talking about in humans is our ability to move back and forth between the realms of what is and what could be, right? The ability to take ideas, experiences, imagination, and translate that into material reality. That's really incredible. And I love the example of finger painting because the connections that go on in the kid's mind about shape, about color, about moving from one template or surface to another, that creativity is the same thing that two million years ago allowed our ancestors to make amazing stone tools and sort of make their way in the world, and it's the same thing today that gives us iPhones and 747 jetliners. Right. Now, I have to ask a personal question. Do you Uh have a creative outlet? I have lots of creative outlets. The book that we're talking about is one of them. I think one of the things that's most important to recognize is that creativity spans this huge range. Yes. So writing and researching for me is a creative activity, but my favorite creative activity is actually cooking. Oh, is it really? That's oh, a great yeah. one. I love to cook. That's ah. a great one. So at least 300,000, if not five or 600,000 years ago, our ancestors sort of figured out how to make and, and tame fire, mm-hmm. right? Changing night into day and, uh, you know, raw meat into filet mignon. And from that, we get this capacity to have cuisine. All we need to do to live is get the right nutrition in our bodies. But we right. never stop there. We right. always get really creative with stuff. And so whether it's, you know, uh, an incredible taco, a wonderful pizza, you know, a great stroganoff or, uh, you know, banh mi, all of those things impress me. And so I love participating in that cooking experience and sharing that. it with others. That's a great outlet, especially the theme of my show is Get the Funk Out. So I always like to ask somebody, what do you do <laughs> to get out of your funk? And it sounds like cooking. 
And that's a great theme. Thank you. Getting out of your funk. I think that's what humanity needs to do. We have such capacity, and yet we let the 24-7 news cycle and the drudgery of day-to-day existence dampen down that creative spark and sort of try to brainwash us into thinking that we individually don't matter or that we're powerless. We don't have the capacity to change stuff, but we do. We do. And and even though I, I'll tell people it's okay to be in a funk because we learn from those moments, you don't want to run away from that. You want to take that moment as a learning moment. And we become more creative, uh, more inspired, stronger, and you learn a lot, as I'm sure you know. Absolutely. Failure is key to creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, If you ask any, you know, any person who you really admire, be it an artist, a celebrity, a sports star, a politician, whoever, um, they're going to tell you they've had many more failures than successes because anyone who's had great success has to have had more failures. And the reason is, just as you pointed out, we learn from failures. That's part of the human experience. So failure, which we actually deride and look down on all the time, is a critical component to living the most creative life you can. Yes. And I think we need to recognize that more. Yeah. So let's talk about your book. Uh, there's a, a lot of great chapters in here. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, maybe we could talk about uh, the u- unique relationship between humans and dogs. That was fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, 20 to 30,000 years ago, humans and wolves started a relationship. And that story in itself is interesting. But over that time, the last 20,000 years or so, we've co-evolved, co-shaped each other's bodies and responses. So humans and dogs today across the planet, you can see in most, not all, but most societies, humans and our canine companions share space. They share our lives, emotional attachments. We even have the ability to affect each other's hormones and health. Dogs and humans have co-evolved to be able to read each other's moods, to comfort one another, to work together. And this is really impressive. They can even understand a lot of what we say when we talk to them, and we can sure understand what they're telling us when they look at us or when they roll on their backs so we can rub their bellies. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's one of those amazing collaborative relationships. We've done this with lots of organisms, but the human-dog relationship is something particularly special. Now, let's talk about the history and trajectory of human creativity. Um, You talk about selective foraging and hunting to the marvels of modern technology. Yeah, so if you look, what's really fascinating is that over the last two million years, we've seen a ramping up of the innovation and experimentation. Um, Part of that has to do with, for most of our history, there were just very few human or human-like things on the planet. Now there's a lot more of us, right? Uh, There's seven and a half billion or so. Um, But if we go deep in time, we can see the early stone tool use and that ability to create stone tools and to work together to modify organisms around them to avoid predators, to sort of get more meat and vegetables, change the way in which we could move. We start to see more movement in our ancestors. We start to slowly see improvement in different kinds of tools, allowing them to do even more with different kinds of food and use more environments. And then we see things like, for example, the taming of fire, right? When we tame fire, as I said before, it turned night to day and, uh, you know, uh, uh, raw meat uh, filet mignon. It, Mm -hmm. It allowed us to do all sorts of different kinds of things. And something that people don't think about frequently is that turning night to day, that ability to have a fire and sit around it to be able to work when there's no light creates something completely different. It expands the time in which we can create and innovate, but it also gives us time to tell stories, to spend time together, to share ideas. And so that that innovation of fire was really impressive. And then going on from there, we start to see examples of art emerging. We start to see more and more complex use of the landscapes and environments. And about 10 to 20,000 years ago, 
Mexico. Our ancestors started settling down in one place and realizing they could manipulate the bodies of other plants and animals, domestication. And once that kicks off, the numbers skyrocket. Our populations get much larger. We go from villages to towns to cities to nation states to politics to economies to institutionalized religions to warfare, and here we are today. You know, I'm so fascinated by this book because I'm thinking – how long did it take you to write this? What was the process? And, and was it clear cut or was it like a qualitative researcher where it, it evolved with these themes? You know, do you share that? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. One, it's about it's about 28 years of work okay. um, in, in, in the sense of my training, all the different kinds of research projects I've been doing. So it's, it, it really is the, the sort of culmination of all that. But I didn't know that up until about five or six years ago, okay. right? Um, uh, it was really in 2012 that I realized I hit a wall. I'm like, this, it's, it's so obvious, it's all there, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been put together in a way that's accessible. And I made an active decision. I publish a ton of academic books and academic articles and chapters, but I made a decision that this has to be written in a way, and I, I, I don't know if I've succeeded, succeeded, but I hope I have. This has to be written in a way that takes this information and makes it available to the public, because this is stuff we need to know. The creative spark, the history of our species, our, our lineage, and that journey is something that's going to help us look backwards to understand how we got here, but also to help us look forwards. And so the process was really, how do I translate hundreds and hundreds of scientific studies and all this information I've learned and all this research I've done myself into something that's accessible and, and not dumbing down the science, but making the science public and entertaining. And and we'll see if that works. Right. I mean, it (laughs) makes total sense because here you have this accumulation of knowledge and research and experience, and you need to do something with it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the things that frustrates me so much about my my discipline and and the academy, right, being in universities, which I love. I'm the Mm -hmm. luckiest person on the planet. I get paid to sort of think and research and study and teach and talk a lot. That's really not a bad gig. No. (laughs) But... But but the moral and ethical responsibility that comes with that is to take all this information and make sure that it gets out into the world. Knowledge is power, and we are disempowering people. We're ripping them off if we're not giving them the fruits of the labor of the academy. And I just don't think academics do that enough. And so this is at least one, one I don't know, uh, attempt to Mm -hmm. get this information out there. And also, there's a lot of misinformation about what humans are and what they do. If you look at a lot of the top sellers, they're either were the, you know, were nasty brutes or men are horrible or men are this way and women are that way or humans have fought their whole, you know, evolutionary history or it's all about competition. And all those things are partially right, but incomplete. And so what I try to do is provide a much more cohesive and, uh, intellectually and scientifically accurate overview of what we know. I think it's great. I wanted to touch on, uh, you talk about the dark side of human creativity. Yeah. You know, when I talk about creativity, our ability to sort of get together, create, collaborate, imagine, and change the world, um, there's a lot of outcomes for that. It is for better and for worse the explanation of our success. So in the for worse part, uh, once we started settling down, building villages, towns, cities, economies, political entities, um, we also created societies with inequality. And we see increasing inequality. And that inequality causes suffering and injustice. That's an outcome of our creativity. And it can be modified through responding to it creatively. But it is part of the dark side, let's say, of our capacity to mess with the world as it messes with us. Uh, Another, I think, really clear outcome of the dark side is warfare. 
Yes. Um, when you think about warfare, it emerges recently in human history, but it emerges from these creative responses to inequality, to competition about resources, to ideas of property, ownership, to ideologies and politics. And we know that in warfare, it's not the most violent or aggressive army that wins. It's the most creative, coordinated, collaborative, and cooperative. So really, peace and warfare emerge from the same thing. Um, so we've got to take the good with the bad and keep optimistic, knowing that our capacity to creatively challenge ourselves in the world can be used for good. I'm looking at a chart. Thank you for that, by the way. I'm looking at a chart sure. on human creativity. And... Um, I know you probably don't have the book in front of you. It's page 158. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's so fascinating how you map <laughs> out this zigzag. Of, can you talk about that briefly? I know it's very detailed, um, but it's really fascinating how you took all this information and laid it out. It is one of my favorite uh, charts. Um, and in fact, I owe this to the, the team at Dutton Books because I gave them a different version of this chart and mm -hmm. they made it beautiful and enjoyable. I and like so, it. <laughs> I like it. Collaborative <laughs> creativity, uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, but, but, but what's amazing about it is it just in a nutshell, in this one little page here, it walks you through two million years of unbelievable change and complexity and innovation, and, and it lets you see our incredible history, but it also points out something very interesting. The last 10 to 14,000 years have been radically faster, mm -hmm. larger, and more impactful than the you know uh, almost two million years before them. And that's because we shifted, we got much, much higher in number, we started to settle okay. down, we started domestication and agriculture, and we started really to spread and alter the earth in a way that it's never seen before. And that's, that's really what I call the beginning of the Anthropocene, right? The mm -hmm. beginning of this sort of human planet level climate change. And, and that's where we are today. And so the scale is important, right? Yes. It shows us all this innovation for two million years, but also how important the last 10 to 15,000 years are in our history. The, what's so fascinating about this is you have all these, this detail in a way that I've never seen a, a chart like this before, but it makes total sense how it's all laid out. Yeah, well, I mean, but all these data are there, but no one puts them all together, right. right? We do this in our, you know, scientific publications, and when I teach an introductory class, I spend a semester, 15 weeks, walking through this, mm -hmm. but it occurred to me, I've done this for a lot of presentations, it occurred to me, I have never seen a book where they just laid it out, because usually it's all about, well, warfare, or aggression, or sex, or one thing, mm -hmm. and, and we're actually giving ourselves a very cheap version of our incredibly rich, complicated, and fascinating history, and so what I try to do is just to, to hint at how just so amazing and complicated it is. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, a different question. How, how do you think you teach? I know as we, as we get older, we lose sometimes our creative spark. We get really busy. We get caught up in work. You're more creative sometimes when you're younger. And then when, as you get older, you have so many responsibilities. I mean, I think it's very important for adults to try to have some kind of creative outlet because it helps with stress and everything. Yes. How do you... Would you give an example of how adults can, you know, remain creative or, or grow creativity in their lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think something that I want to point out is that we actually, as adults, are creative all the time. Um, we just don't give ourselves credit for it. Mm -hmm. So we creatively problem solve almost every day in the True. physics lab, in the artist studio, in the restaurant kitchen, in the mechanic's garage, in the corner cubicle. Heck, even figuring out how to make a small paycheck last until the end of the month. 
that is True. incredibly creative. Yes. So we need to recognize that. But then also, you're absolutely right. We need to do things like make a meal with friends and family. Go participate in something that's incredibly enjoyable about imagery, sound, like music, theater, song, drawing, poetry, carpentry, yes. painting. Uh, those kinds of things foster, they actually help us cognitively. As we age, we need to really take care not to do what we tend to do, and that's stop thinking that we have imagination and creativity. Right. I think it's even more important uh, to, to keep this active as we age. It'll help us age better. Well, and I have to add, I love guitar playing, but over the years, I haven't kept up with it all the time. And now, <laughs> I'll go in my room, I'll say, I'm not going to do the laundry, I'm not going to do the dishes, I'm going to try to learn Stevie Ray Vaughan songs with my electric guitar, <laughs> and I'm, I tell everybody, I need an hour, and I come, I come out of the room like I've had a vacation. Because of yeah. that creativity, and I just try and I break it apart, and even if I'm not great, I'm doing something, and you feel this this high from being creative. Yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan's Tin Pan Alley is one of the most uh, amazing and oh, creatively yeah. wonderful things I've ever heard. I, I used to see him many times in concert before he passed. Yes. Um, you're exactly right, though. That idea of sort of isolating your off, yourself off sometimes or going with others, mm -hmm. cutting yourself off from the daily drudgery and being creative is critical. We need to step out of the 24-hour news cycle every now and then because it's going to mislead us as to what our capacities are and what the majority of the 7.5 billion people are doing right now. Right. Most people right now are getting along. They're creating. They're being collaborative. And yeah, there's conflict here and there, but that's not what happens most of the time, and that's not what's in our sort of core. Mm -hmm. I know, because you mentioned uh, certain actionable and concrete steps we can take as individuals or community to harness this creative power. Right, right. So, I mean, there's plenty of things we can do. We mentioned making a meal. Prepare a meal. Mm -hmm. Pay homage to the thousands of years we put into getting us where we are now with cuisine and go for it. Or go to a great uh, food truck and, and, and pick up something amazing yes. and relish how creative it is. That's one thing. I mentioned going to participate in something that has to do with imagery, sound, sensations, or passion, music, theater, drawing, poetry, prose, painting, carpentry. That stimulates our cognitive and physical creative juices. Um, or do any art. Just do something, yes. and that'll be beneficial. But I think what's really important is to give ourselves credit and recognize how every day we usually tackle a problem, either alone or with others, in a creative fashion. And recognizing that helps us realize that that creative spark is still alive within us. Oh, that's great. Now, I just want to talk about uh, what you're currently doing. You're professor and chair of Notre Dame's Department of Anthropology, and you're also a National Geographic Explorer. What is that like? Amazing. Well, it's wonderful working with Natural Geographic and mm. in anthropology in general because one of the most important things is to take the world and bring it to everyone. Imagery, sounds, travel, diversity, those are the things that act as fodder for our creative juices. And places like National Geographic and fields like anthropology help do that. They show us the amazing diversity of the world out there, humans, other animals, plants, places, imagery. Just having access to that helps us be more creative, and it helps us lead healthier lives. And so I love that kind of adventuring. And oh, besides, I, I love to travel. And I really chose a discipline that requires me to travel. I, I tend to try to study things that are far away. So, uh, you know, I feel really bad for the amount of flying I do because that's <laughs> leaving a giant carbon footprint. Right. But I hope I'm contributing something to the world by delivering that back. Well, and I think I've seen uh, some kind of brochure about all the different places where people can travel with National Geographic. Oh, yeah. And it's 
unbelievable. So going on some of these trips via Nat Geo, via universities, taking the opportunity to go with an expert who really knows something about some place and just immersing yourself in that amazing visual and sensory experience, it's really cool because people need diversity, we need input, we need interesting things to happen. Yes. And one way to do that is just to travel when you can. I know it's a luxury that most people don't have, right. but, but even if you can't travel, getting online or reading a book, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> really gets you somewhere, it takes you somewhere new, and that's incredible. I just want to ask you before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you? I think you're on Twitter and you have a website. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me at AnthroFuentes on Twitter. I have a website, afuentes.com. You can email me at afuentes at nd.edu, and I'd be glad to respond when I can. Perfect. Thank you so much for calling in. It's been really great chatting with you and hearing about your book. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. That was Augustine Fuentes calling in to talk about The Creative Spark, How Imagination Made Humans Exceptional. If you missed any part of this conversation, it will be up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org.